Howdy, howdy to you all, ladies and gentlemen. No matter where you're at, we're right here. This is your old uncle Enoch Hudgens, and right here is Ethan Hobbs. Come in, Ethan Howdy, everybody. Hey, now. What are we going to start out with? We ain't going to start out at nothing. Why? Oh, so we'll get you rested if we start out here at this thing. That's uh, right. That's right in there watching us. Yeah, turn it. I don't mean that. I mean start out a number on the program. Oh, you're going to pin one first, yeah. don't you? Well, uh, what's your name of it? I do from the first number, old Frisky Dan. That's yes, Harry. Hello, Frisky Dan. 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 Hello, Are we on air? Yeah, on the very air. That's what we're. Or what you say? I said, was we on the air? Yeah, we're way up in there, up in the big yeah. building. Yeah. Yeah, or something. Are we on air? Yeah, on. Did you say? I said, was we on the air? Well, okay, you guys. Yeah, you were on the air, but uh, that was back in 1939. That was Lonnie Robertson and. Uh, we're just going to let him saw away. That was back in Springfield, Missouri, 1939. But now it's time for Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. On KOPN 89.5 FM in Columbia, Missouri. I'm Margot McMillan. I'm Red Hartman. And this is Josh Stevens. Thank you for joining us. Pretty good, there, Ham. Yeah. And welcome to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. I'm Margot McMillan, and this podcast is going to feature a uh, interview with Howie Shukard of Ashland, Missouri. Howie is a dog trainer. He's a person trainer. He teaches you how to train your dog. And he's been in the business for decades, has a lot of experience to share, has won numerous awards. You can find a lot about Howie on his web page and his Facebook page. Uh, if you decide that you'd like to talk to him, his phone number is 573-746-9300, and you can catch him at that phone number. I'll announce it later on in this podcast also. So thanks for listening. And we will get right to it. The reason that I wanted to talk to you was that now that people are sequestering, or I guess that's what we say nowadays, I think we're spending a lot more time with our dogs. A lot of people are. And you, as a dog trainer, have probably got some special insights as to how we can keep ourselves and our dogs happy under these conditions. Just having this conversation with the client I was at before I came home. Uh -huh. And 
as crazy as it is with all this time we have with our dogs, with the lockdown as it is, and so many people literally freaking out with paranoia on, but the, the, the dogs are actually, generally speaking, getting less exercise than they were before. And this is really becoming a problem. I'm working with all kinds of dogs that are demonstrating behavior problems now that weren't. And a lot of them, it's because they got these dogs as young puppies, either right before or right at the beginning of the lockdowns. And the dogs weren't able to be socialized correctly. Hmm. And most people really have no idea just how critical the first 16 weeks of a dog's life are. But if your dog has not met the delegated guidelines as to what should happen in that first 16 weeks, the dog is gonna be screwed up for life and live their life essentially in fear and uncertainty until they find someone who's knowledgeable enough to fix this problem. And what we're talking about is typically expresses itself as either just fear or fear-based reactivity, fear-based aggression. In the last month and a half, I typically do 30 to 60 of these dogs in a year for this. Mm. It's the most common behavior problem because again, people don't understand about early socialization, but I've picked up at least 20 just in the month or so since we were allowed to get back to work. Mm. And always the exact same thing, dogs that are just fearful because they weren't able to be socialized correctly because they were locked down. And so this will give me a chance to get out what those guidelines are for the average person. And they'll be surprised to hear what they are because it's really quite a bit. But you want to understand that the, the time from three weeks to 16 weeks is called the primary socialization period. And there are two distinct guidelines that should be met by 16 weeks. And this is why I warn people, they're gonna get a puppy, don't get it at 14, 15 weeks because it's probably been in a kennel up until that point. Mm. You always wanna get a puppy between seven and eight weeks, which is the beginning of the primary bonding period. But here are the two guidelines. By 16 weeks, your dog should be physically handled by 100 people. And not just 100 people like whoever you are. It should be handled by people of all ages, of all races, of all ages. So white people, black people, brown people, red people, yellow people, people that walk funny, people that talk funny, old people, kids, 30 out of the 100 should be children. And it's not only should the dog be exposed to all this, but the dog, in fact, needs to be having a positive experience each and every time. So the bottom line is, as long as you have a bag full of wonderful treats that the dog loves, it's easy to make it a positive experience. When puppies are young, no matter what breed they are, they tend to be pretty darn cute. And you're always going to have people walking up and going, oh, what a cute puppy. Can I pet him? You Sure, just give him a treat or two first. Okay. So out of those hundred people, you want to have at least 20 to 30 should be children, each giving them treat. And wow. you want every kind of people, like I said, you know, the, 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 the weirder or more people on crutches, people in wheelchairs, people that look funny, people that walk funny, people that talk funny, the dog should be exposed to all those different things. But at least 100 should be physically handling that dog by 16 weeks. Wow, no. That's only one guideline. 
but it, the second guideline and the one just as critical says that your dog again by 16 weeks should be exposed to every possible situation it can encounter in its entire life and have a positive situation with that. So here we're talking about friends' homes, relatives' homes, parks, playgrounds, strip malls, big empty parking lots, big open fields of short grass, of tall grass, walks in the woods. And Columbia, for being a small to mid-sized town, is an extremely pet-friendly town. And there's many, many businesses that are very pet-friendly. Just off the top of my head, for one, we have a Petco and a PetSmart. We have three Lizzie and Rocco's. We have a Treats Unleashed. There's six pet stores all together. But you have places, there's two Orschlands. There's a Tractor Supply. There's Lowe's. There's Home Depot. There's the Sports Authority. There's Best Buy. There's Michael's. All of these places are pet friendly. And you're welcome to go in there with your dog. And what I suggest is that everybody with young dogs does it. Take their dog to every single place that they can possibly take them. And especially if anybody listening is one of these people that got a dog shortly before or during the COVID lockdowns, they're going to start running into aggression problems and fear-based problems. And here's, here's the real issue is between 16 and 18 weeks, if you haven't at least come close to these guidelines, what happens is the dog's brain actually stops developing normally. Mm. Okay, if it's not exposed to massive doses of varied sensory input, the dog's brain will stop developing normally. And then you get all different kinds of quirky behavior. Mm. I deal with anywhere from 90 to 120 behavior problems on a normal year. And out of those, 80% have their basis in the lack of correct socialization when they're young. So that's, that's an astounding amount of people that have problems. And part of the problems is the vets, because most vets are going to tell you, oh, keep your dog away from other dogs until they're through with their immune, um, immune shot sequence, which I don't know why they do that, because when they get their preliminary shots, they're good for two weeks. So even if your dog isn't got its full sequence, if it just got a shot yesterday, it's safe for a couple weeks. And the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, which is the upper echelon of the people that do behavior work, told me in their, their book that they just came out with last year, which is a wonderful book, the entire first chapter stresses exactly what I've been stressing for years, just how critical the first four months of a dog's life are. And if the dog is not exposed to enough, not that only that you're, there's a chance you'll have problems, but there's a 75 to 85% chance that you will have behavioral issues. Wow. Okay, so again, I, this is a great format to get this out to people so they understand that if they've got young dogs, there's nothing more important and exposing that dog to as much as they can in that first 16 weeks of life. Now you can still do it after that, but it takes more. And I suggest that they do it as soon as possible, mm -hmm. as close to that time frame as they can. Okay. So that's probably the most important piece to get out there because because of that lockdown, there's all these dogs out there that aren't getting the correct socialization. The other thing, as I started to say, is they're not getting enough exercise. And most people think, 
hey, my dog gets two walks a day, every day, and they're 15, 20, 30 minute walks. Well, that's great, except for walking doesn't really count as exercise for a four-legged dog. And for most dogs, you can walk them from now to next year, and it's not gonna count as exercise, hmm. okay? A dog is not truly exercising unless they're running. A dog's normal pace is a trot. To walk at a human's pace, they're walking at half of what their normal animated pace is. So the general guideline for most breeds is that the dog should be exercised twice daily to the point of its tongue hanging an inch to two inches out of its mouth, which is way more than most dogs are getting. And people go, well, well, how long should that take? And there's no answer to that. It depends on what condition the dog's in, how hot or cold it is. If I like when it's sizzling hot. I exercise my dogs twice a day. And when it's hot, even though my dogs are in great condition, it only takes 10 minutes for their tongues to be hanging an inch and a half to two inches out. They're running. We have some acreage and the dogs run 100 yards for each throw about. They run and they come back. They run and they come back. So when it's really hot, I get done faster. When it's 70 degrees, I got out this morning, it took me 20 minutes to get the same thing where the tongues were hanging down an inch, an inch and a half out of their mouth. And that's when I stopped. But most people are not exercising their dogs anywhere in there enough. And your dog is never going to be happy without getting a minimal amount of exercise. Again, I, I run into two or three behavior problems a year where all we have to do is make sure the dog gets more exercise. And a lot of times people in an effort to do the best thing for their dog will go out and buy this really high dollar dog food that's 32, 33, 34, even 35% protein. But then all the dog gets is two 10 minute a day walks. And what happens is the dogs start getting really jittery from all the energy that comes from the protein. We call it protein overload. And so if you're feeding your dog a really high protein dog food, which the average pet should not be getting, the average pet only needs 24 to 28% protein. Those high protein dog foods are made for working dogs, dogs that have a job that they're doing in and out, day in and day out. So these are some of the biggest ideas for people. They, they need to exercise their dogs. And fetch is a great way to do it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, you're already my brain is going in about a hundred different directions with questions for you. Fire away. Um, I guess I guess the first question I have is how do you know if your dog is having behavior problems? I mean, what what is the manifestation of a behavior problem? It can, it can be all kinds of different things. The first one is that they just don't count down. Don't calm they literally down. just, they don't count down. They're, they're antsy from morning till night. They always have to be moving. Okay, and that tells you right there, that dog is not getting enough exercise. Often it'll come out as what looks like the beginning of aggression. They'll come up and they'll start nipping at you, even though they're past the mouthing stage. And what they're saying is, come on, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. I've seen dogs that will even walk up and grab their owner's hands or arms and try to pull them to get them to try to do things. Uh -huh. But like I said, in extreme cases, this could actually cause outright aggression issues. Uh -huh. 
So there's, there's lots of things. It could turn out to be lots of different quirky kinds of behavior, but mostly it has to do with hyperactivity and the inability to calm down. I had a client a while back last year. This was a woman here in Columbia and the dog was always crated when it was in the house. And when it was outside, she had me coming and doing obedience because the dog was driving her crazy. And the dog would be outside. She'd put it outside two or three times a day, but it was on a six foot cable. And there was as much room as it had. And we went through two, three, four lessons um, in obedience, trying to, to get the dog under control and seemingly couldn't. And finally I said, you know what? This dog just seems wound up tighter than a $2 watch. Let's take her for a walk and start on healing. She goes, walk? And I'm like, yeah, you know, walk your dog. I mean, you walk your dog, right? She goes, no, I don't ever walk my dog. So you're telling me the dog is always inside in the crate or in this one room or outside on that six foot cable? She goes, that's right. And I go, that's why your dog is nuts and driving you crazy. You got a black lab. This dog needs to run. It never in its entire life had an opportunity to run from eight weeks on. And now the dog's nine months. This borders on downright cruelty. Oh gosh. Okay? Dogs need to exercise. It's a critical idea. They'll never be happy without the right amount of exercise. You know, while we're on the subject of breeds, are there dogs that can handle that? Is there a certain, if somebody, you know, maybe an older person, I don't know. Yeah, there, there are some less energetic breeds. Of course there are, the companion dogs. And of course, smaller dogs pugs for example Hogs? bulldogs oh bulldogs. you know the dogs that, that would have a hard time being exercised extensively i was working with a little bulldog today and generally i'm not that much of a fan of bulldogs but this little bulldog is the sweetest he belongs to a young lady here in columbia mm -hmm. who's doing obedience with her and we've just got started a week ago and this dog is already got, is doing so well. When I come and when I talk with his owner, he literally spends every minute just sitting at my feet, staring at me, <laughs> waiting for me to tell him things to do. This, this young woman got, got the dog making direct eye contact for 20 seconds in one week, which for a bulldog is really quite a feat. Huh. Usually it takes significantly longer, but this is a dog that I haven't stressed to her. We've talked about it and I said, he needs a little bit more exercise, but he doesn't need to be exercised like a lot of the other breeds do. But you have other breeds like Huskies, for God's sakes. If, you, if you're in an apartment and you have a Husky, you better get a treadmill or a border collie. You know, let, let me give you a, an, an amazing little fact. We know that border collies were bred to herd, okay? And just between you, you and me, Margo, a typical working border collie. How far would you think a typical working border collie runs on an average day? Oh, when it's hurting? Oh, I'm going to say at least 10 miles. They, yeah, they put in the mud. Margo, 150 miles. <laughs> the wow. average working border collie will run 150 miles in a day. Day in, day out. There is no dog, no other even herding dog that will run anywhere near that. They are the most energetic breed. And they're near as fast as greyhounds. Huh. 
They are, they are, they're the dogs that are winning everything in, in the, the dog sports, um, like agility. It, 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 it's, it's almost impossible to beat, um, to beat a border collie in agility. A, a Belgian Malinois, a Tavern, they might have a chance, but pretty much any other breed, forget it. They're, they're not really going to have much of a chance against a border collie at all. Wow. So breeds like that, you know, in fact, border collies are beyond a doubt the single most intelligent breed by a long shot. You know, anytime you see a video of a dog doing something truly amazing, it's almost always a border collie. And for 20 years, 25 years, I've been saying, Howie, you should get yourself a border collie and see what you can do with that. And then I think about, oh my God, trying to keep that dog exercised while I'm still working 10, 12 hours every single day. So years ago when I was very competitive and I still had Rottweilers, it was an easy choice. I got treadmills and taught my dogs to run on them and I'd just turn it on and they'd jump on and run till they didn't want to run anymore and they'd just slide off and be done. Huh. I guess I could do the same thing if I wanted to go out and get another treadmill and teach the dog to run on it. But, but you know, I'm, I retire in just a couple years after literally 47 years of training dogs. Wow. And I thought maybe once I retire, then I'll get me a border collie. But <laughs> I have the time to spend with it and, and can work with it day in and day out. You'll be one of those guys that has a dog that knows 55 words and- 55? The dog that made me famous, Sleek Ebony Von Groneman, she won a couple Schutzen National Championships. She was the most titled Rottweiler in the world. She was an obedience trial champion, um, an agility champion, a weight pole champion, working police tracking and drug dog, and a therapy dog to boot. This dog knew over 400 commands. Huh. Okay, over 400 mm -hmm. commands. People used to say, you can't fool us. That's not a dog. You've got a little human in there. It zipped up into that dog suit somewhere. Where's the zipper, Owie? <laughs> Where's the zipper? But yeah, that dog was incredible. And that's because in my entire training career, I've always had multiple dogs, except for one three and a half year span where I had only one dog, and that was her um. of my own. And so when you have only one dog, you get to spend a lot of time with them, as opposed to right now, there's three. And yeah, so if, when, when you work 10 or 12 hours a day and come back to three dogs, you can only give. For one, I don't have a whole lot of time, and then I got to split it up amongst the dogs. So it gets pretty crazy. So shoot some more questions at me. Okay, so while our interviewer is thinking of some more questions to ask Howie Shugard, I will remind you that you're listening to a podcast of Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life. We air on KOPN 89.5 FM and on KOPN.org on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. This episode with Howie Shukard first aired on September 2nd, 2020. And the program is Farm and Fiddle. And I just want to make a little program note here. Howie Shukard mentioned a book uh, about 10 minutes into this interview, and he said it was by the American College of Veterinary Behaviorists, and that book is Decoding Your Dog, 
It was published and updated just a couple of years ago. Decoding Your Dog, it's available online. And they also have a, uh, another book called Decoding Your Cat. So uh, if you're interested in going further with this subject, those are a couple of good resources to get you started. And you know, I, I can't resist sneaking in a fiddle tune here. So this is from the John White album, Nine Miles of Dry and Dusty on the Voyager label. And uh, the title of the tune is just delicious. That's my rabbit. My dog caught it. Nice fiddle there from John White, dance fiddler here in mid-Missouri. Uh, left us a couple of years ago, but his music lives on. And he, in this cut, is accompanied by the Nine Mile Band. That's Amber Gaddy. I think she's on accordion in this tune. And David Cavins on guitar. Jim Ruth, that very tasty banjo going on. And we're going to go right back to the conversation with Howie Shukard on how to get along with your dog during the lockdown. Okay, well, so I have two dogs, I'll just tell you. I have one that probably was a, almost a textbook example of how you said to socialize a dog. This dog was taken everywhere. People, you know, went out, went after him and adored him. And he's, he's just a big old lover. Right. The other dog is a, a beagle mix and we got her as a, what do you call it? A rescue. Right. And, um, she was, pro well, we thought she was about a year old. I believe she was a little older than that, probably one and a half or two years old, and um, didn't have that socialization at all. Now she's about, I guess, about six. So um, is there something that you could do with a dog that's one and a half? If yes, you, get you, can, you can do it at any age. Mm -hmm. It just takes time and effort. And like I said, of all the behavior problems that I get, the vast majority have their originations of the problems and the lack of socialization. And so every dog's a little bit different, but there is a process that we use. Uh, I call it super socialization with counter conditioning. A lot of these dogs, like the dog you're describing, your dog, my guess is that if she's in a strange situation or strangers get near, she gets nervous. 
she gets a little bit worried, she gets anxious. If she yeah, does, no. she expresses it by going to them and wagging her tail and just, you know, loving on them. She really, she's a real purple okay. per so person. That, that, is, that is not typical of a dog that is truly lacking in socialization. So a she may have been well socialized by her first owners. Yeah, she, she, she probably was. Um, like I, say, I walked into a house, I was working with a housebreaking issue today, right before I came home. And I walked in, it's a miniature Aussie. And as soon as I walked in the door, the dog got really nervous, ran out of the room and into the kitchen. And even though I kept tossing her treats the entire time I was there, I couldn't get within five or six feet of her. Oh. And I said, your dog wasn't socialized when she was young. And he goes, yeah, no, we didn't take her anywhere. She stayed here. And I go, mm -hmm. you realize your dog is living her entire life in fear and anxiety. And he uh -huh. goes, yeah, but she just stays home with us and we don't go anywhere. But when we do, she's when we take her to the groomer or the vet, yeah, she gets nervous. On a rare occasion, they might want to bring her somewhere. She can't barely ride in a car without getting stressed out and anxious. That's what you usually see is just they're very nervous. They're, they're extremely lacking in self-confidence, and they tend to be very fearful and uncertain. So let's say you have a dog like that. Let You go to the to the Humane Society, you just fall in love with this dog that's very fearful, standing in the back of the pen and um, just scared of, you know, just scared of everything. Can that dog be, be socialized and rescued? Some can and some can't. Let me just tell you two stories, both from within the last few months. And one of them is one of the, the last two or three reviews I got. We got a call from a client. They had rescued a dog. They had had the dog for three and a half months. It was a corgi. Mm -hmm. They knew nothing about the corgi. It was a breeding, it was gonna be a breeding dog and the, the breeder decided not to breed it. So it had at least had, it had, it had lived outside. So this dog was comfortable. The corgi was comfortable outside. It had been in a kennel run. It had been around other dogs. It got to play with other dogs, though there was very little human contact but it had never been inside a home. So this dog, you could at least, once it was outside, it was pretty much okay. It was just wouldn't move inside the house. And for three and a half months, it wouldn't come out of the laundry room, period. And I got in there with him and this took a while. It took about two and a half, three months. And today the dog is a happy, well-adjusted Corgi. Loves the whole family, wanders around the house, but it took a good amount of work. Shortly after I had started, started with this corgi, I got a call from another couple. This was an older couple, and they had just rescued a Brussels Griffon. And I said, okay, I just am working with another dog with this exact same issue. More often, it's fear, but both of these two dogs were not we're not, the fear becomes aggression. In both of these dogs, there was no aggression whatsoever, just fear. But I worked with that Brussels Griffon for probably half an hour. And what I said to the owners is, here's the deal. I doubt that this dog, they didn't put it in a little bit, they kept it in a corner of their living room. And this dog, they would have to put it on leash and collar and pretty much drag it from the corner to get it to go outside and go potty and it wouldn't leave that corner. And I worked with this dog a half an hour. The corgi I worked with a half an hour and said, this one's gonna be fixable. And mm. sure enough it was, and like I said, just 
just not a month ago we finished and she wrote me a great review. The Brussels Griffon, I worked with it a half an hour and the more I work with it, the more, and all I did was treat it and pet it and love on it and move it around just a little bit. And the more I worked with it, the more stressed out. And what I said to them is keep the dog, just leave it essentially alone, um, feed it, try to give it some attention and start feeding it around the different places in the house, toss treats all around, see if it'll move out a little bit for the treats. But if another month or two goes by and you can't get it to come out of the corner by itself, and this dog was four and a half years old. It had been in a kennel, a small kennel without even an indoor outdoor run. So it was like in a four by four space without any dogs next to it. The only human contact it had was when it was getting fed and watered or the kennel was getting cleaned. And I said, if it doesn't come out in a month and a half or two months, then the dog is gonna be untrainable. And they worked with the dog two, two and a half months. Um, and ended up bringing it back and couldn't get anywhere with it. Aww, so again, this is all individual stuff. It was the same situation inside or outside. Mm -hmm. This dog was just scared poopless. Just mm -hmm. too afraid to do anything at all, almost to the point of catatonic. Yeah, it, it really is pathetic what, what people do. And then it was all because four years locked in a, a four by four kennel. It destroyed the dog. Mm. So, and this all goes back to that early formative time of mm. if, if they had taken that dog out on a regular basis and exposed him to all the things we talked about in the first 16 weeks, it wouldn't have mattered if he had spent the rest of the next four and a half years. He still could have been saved. He could have been mm. rescued. The brain would have been functioning normally. Uh, and I'm sure that if the people that had the dog understood, well, I'm not sure, I'm never sure about people, but I would like to assume that if the people understood exactly what they were doing to the dog and the psychological damage that they were doing to the dog, um, they wouldn't do it. When you work with a nervous dog, just like when you're trying to calm a dog down, you know, a lot of dogs get really hyper and I've heard people go, Fido, calm down, calm, calm down. And I look at him and go, seriously? You think that's gonna calm down the dog? How about this? Calm, what a good calm. And what I tell people is that if you wanna calm your dog, you better be able to show them what calm means. And the real trick to calming a dog is to make yourself as calm as you can possibly be. Look, here's another thing I tell people. I try to get this out to every client. I don't always do it. I sometimes forget. But one thing I try to tell people is that by the time any person gets a new dog and has that dog for three months, that the dog will know their owners about five times better than the owners will know their dogs. <laughs> okay? And there's a couple reasons for that. One is that the dog is an expert at reading facial expressions and body postures. And the average person doesn't have a clue how to read canine body postures, okay? But further than that, and more at least as importantly, if not more importantly, is that humans can no longer smell our pheromones. We say that 10,000 years ago, we could smell each other's pheromones. Are you familiar with pheromones are? Mm -hmm. Okay, now a lot of people have it wrong. So what do you think a pheromone is? Well, a pheromone is an attractant, at least this is, 
how I use pheromones because I use them. I, I'm an organic farmer. I don't use any uh, sprays or poisons on my farm. So um, good for you. We do organic ourselves. Okay. So when I have a bad creature like the Japanese uh, beetle. beetle that have been hitting us for the last what four or five years, uh, you know, um, I can buy a pheromone and. Uh, trap it or lure it to a different place, that kind of thing. Now, that's what most people think, but that's not really the case. We have a pheromone for every emotion we feel. Huh. When you're angry, you have a pheromone. When you're nervous, there's a pheromone. If you're afraid, there's a pheromone. Okay? When you're happy, there's a pheromone. Okay? So as soon as you walk into the room, your dog smells your pheromones and knows what kind of mood you're in right now before you've ever made contact okay so your dog's really got an easy up in terms of under knowing and understanding you over a short period of time they start recognizing the facial expressions that you make that match the pheromones and from there they've got you in the bag that's why so many dogs do better at training their humans than the humans do at training their dogs and i believe this absolutely so if you uh, wish your dog to calm down, you would just, what, go calm into yourself. a meditative state or somehow you calm yourself down. Right. Well, there is, there is a particular stroke that we use, okay? If, if you get your dog and you just start somewhere on the neck or shoulders and go down the body, pressure on to pressure off. So there's significant pressure when you start and then it's a feather touch down by their butt area. Whether you're on their sides, the belly, the back, doesn't matter. Dogs find that particular stroke very relaxing. So it's just down, lift your hand, come back. Pressure on to pressure off. So typically, I can tell my obedience clients, one thing you wanna be able to do is to change your dog's level of energy and excitement. You wanna be able to get them excited and you wanna get them to calm down. So I have them practice this. Get your dog all excited. Make your voice high pitched and squeaky and bounce around and slap their sides. That'll get them excited. Then once they're excited, change pace completely. Make your voice very deep. Speak slowly. Good calm. What a good calm. And take four, five, six seconds for one stroke. I can take most dogs that are all hyped up and within two minutes, have them laying down on their sides going, uh. <laughs> and so this is one of the things I teach my clients in obedience. Obviously that's not an obedience exercise, uh -huh. but when you know how to alter your dog's energy level and enthusiasm levels and you can bring them up and down, that makes for good training because when your dog is too excited and bouncing around and full of energy, you can't teach that dog anything. And if your dog is really low on energy and starting to drop off and all he wants to do is lay down and go to sleep, you can't work with that dog. So you want to get him somewhere in the middle where they're upbeat and animated and having fun, but at the same time, not falling asleep and not getting so excited that they can't sit still. Hmm. Okay. So um, one thing that you mentioned that I, I don't know if you, I mean, I know you do remember this because you've been in this for so long, but I'm going to say it was about 10 years ago, five years ago, 
it got to be very popular to keep your dogs in a crate, uh, crate oh, training. Been, that's been forever. Okay, it's been forever. Fact, the truth of the matter is every dog should have a crate. Ah. Okay, even as an adult dog. Okay, so let's put, make it for example, okay? Forgetting about the young dog that we have here, my two dogs, my adult dogs, are, I have a four and a half year old shepherd and I have a 12 year old shepherd. Okay. Is that a German and shepherd? What kind German of shepherd? shepherds? Okay. German shepherds. And these dogs would never cause any damage. They would never pee in the house. They would never poop in the house. And there's a crate that's available to them at any time. Okay. And so again, you want to remember your dog is a den animal and they like being in small enclosed places. So this is their safe haven. So anytime they're stressed about anything, my older dog, it just started in the last couple of years, fireworks didn't bother him. Okay, in the last couple of years, they started bothering him. So when the fireworks come, he goes in his crate. Hmm. Fine. And the rule that we have is anytime a dog goes in its crate, you'll leave him alone. That's his safety, that's his security. I won't even call my dogs out if they're in their crate, okay? But crate training is essential for a young dog. You can't leave a dog like that loose in your house. In fact, I have a sheet that I hand out to my puppy clients it's called Puppy Guidelines. And the first rule says, your dog should never be out of your sight, not for one minute. He can be chewing the leg to your table or chewing up your leather chair or couch. And you're not there to let him know it's the right or wrong thing. Chewing is hardwired into dogs' brains from the old days when they had to chew on bones to survive. So this is a natural behavior. It's self-rewarding. The dogs get pleasure out of chewing. So you're not around to let them know it's the wrong thing. They pick up anything. And usually with young dogs, the first thing they grab to chew is articles of clothing that smell like their owner. These are the first things most dogs tend to grab. I, I occasionally, here, here's something that blows my mind. I'll walk into a, a client's house and their dog is chewing on an old shoe. And I'm going, oh man, you know, your dog's chewing on your shoe. And they go, oh no, 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 that's his toy. And I'm like, I start laughing. I go, so you realize your dog can't differentiate the smell of one shoe really from another. So you do understand you're teaching your dog to chew on your shoes by giving him this <laughs> shoe to chew on. And oh, I, oh, no. oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> okay, but I've seen it happen over and over. So you don't ever want to give your dog an old sock or a shoe or any kind of article of clothing to chew on because you're teaching them to chew on your clothing and your your shoes and socks yeah huh but it's chewing is normal i mean they as puppies it seems like ours i don't know how long they chew for a couple maybe a year i don't know yeah most most people think the chewing stage starts when the puppy loses their puppy teeth and gets their adult teeth in and oh. there is a period there where the dog will chew more than it has previously but for most dogs the really the heavy chewing period doesn't start until they hit puberty, no. seven, eight, nine months. And it gets, it's the worst then typically from seven to about 12 months, maybe 14. That's when chewing is typically the worst. And then you just, you, you try to treat to 
teach them to use toys to, to right and here's one other exercise. critical idea that that most people don't understand so this is a great way to get this out to everybody that's listening as well one thing that's a critical idea when your puppy is young and has anything that it should not have you want to teach it to trade first approach the puppy with a treat to oh. get them to release whatever they have get it from them and then always replace whatever you took away with something that they are allowed to have. You must replace what, what you took with something else. If you don't do that, odds are really good that later in life, your dog will develop a resource guarding problem. Because at an early age, he learned that anything that he has that he considers valuable can be taken away and not be replaced with anything. And I'll just tell you, anyone that's listening, it does not want to deal with resource guarding. It's one of the most difficult of all behavior problems to solve. And we do have ways to solve it now. But up until about 10 years ago, if any dog was in a shelter and they showed resource guarding behavior, they were pretty much automatically put down because resource guarding, it was that hard to fix. Now we do have ways now. In fact, in the last 10 years, I've probably been 90 8% effective at completely overcoming resource guarding, but it doesn't happen in a short time. Mm -hmm. And it does take a good amount of work. And it can, once it gets started, it tends to expand exponentially faster and faster. I've had people who would call me, my dog's starting to guard his food bowl. And I'm like, be careful. It can start with toys. It can start with empty spaces. It can start with you. And sometimes in the two or three weeks it takes me to get to them to start, They've started guarding their toys. They've started guarding. I've run into dogs that won't let husbands and wives kiss or hug each other. Dogs that won't let anybody near their favorite person's resting spot on the couch. I've seen dogs that will, will resource guard dust bunny. I mean, it, it gets ridiculous at what a dog will resource guard. Anything that they think is the slightest valuable. Uh, the worst case I had was a little corgi about two years ago. Started out, he resource guarded his crate and his food almost at the same time. Got to be a point you couldn't get anywhere near him when he was eating because he would come after you. Then it was you couldn't get near him when he was in his crate. And this dog belonged to a young couple. And they lived together in a, a townhome with his brother and her sister. So after it was the crate and the food, then it was he claimed their closet. And they had a hard time getting dressed in the morning because if that dog was in the closet, they couldn't even get in there to get their clothes. Hmm. And then it got to be the point where his brother couldn't give him a hug, he'd attack him. Or his brother couldn't give him a high five, he'd attack him. And it wasn't until the dog started having a fit about the woman being able to hug and make contact with him. That was when I got the second call, so we gotta do something about this. You are listening to a podcast of Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life. And this is a conversation with Howie Shukard, dog trainer from Ashland, Missouri, was first aired on September 2nd. The name of his company is Howie's Happy Dog Training. They have a wonderful webpage and Facebook page. 
And you can call him at 573-746-9300. I'll repeat that, 573-746-9300. And I'm also going to mention that we will have a podcast of this program on our podcast page, Farm and Fiddle Podcast. And there's also a few... Uh, minutes of bonus track, let's call it, on the podcast. We are about out of time for our program right here, but you can tune into our podcast and hear it. The tune you're hearing in the background is My Love is But a Lassie O. Get it? By John White and the Nine Mile Band. And we will go back to our conversation with Howie Shukard. Now, again, my specialty is aggression problems. And I do anywhere from 80 to 100 aggression problems a year. And aggression problems do get priority. Oh, so, good. Especially if there's an aggression issue involving children. And if someone has an aggression issue where children are getting nipped at and bit at, I will make that my priority and I will put them ahead of whatever else I've got going. Because I should ask you, how the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to uh, you know, get you involved in their, in their personal dog problems? Well, obviously I'm, I'm all for taking advantage of the opportunity. And I'll tell you that the best way really is to just call me. I do have an email connection from my website, but I'll be absolutely honest with you. I get three to 400 emails every single day. I don't get a chance to go through them on a regular basis. And I just went through them two days ago and found one from like nine or 10 days ago. Yeah. And said, you know, I emailed them back and said, look, I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I just found this, but I'm, I'm buried. And, and again, people are welcome to call me. They can call me. My phone number is 573-746-9300. But just to let people know, um, you know, I am the only certified master trainer in central Missouri. I believe I'm the only certified behavior consultant. They can go to my website, go to the gallery page, see my credentials, look up all my numerous testimonials. There's about 30, 30 some on Google on my Facebook page. There's another 20 or 25. But what I will warn people right now before they call is right now I've got a waiting list. And prior to me getting there and for a behavior mod situation, the initial visit runs four and a half to six hours. You have to take a complete history of the development of the problem. You got to know absolutely everything about that dog's life if you really want to be effective in ending that problem. You know, here's, here's what I'll tell you just quickly. You know, I was a trainer for about 17, 18 years before I got certified to do behavior work in 92. Okay, so I had already been training for many years and I always would take a behavioral approach to try to end behavior problems. And that approach is called the symptomatic approach. And in the symptomatic approach, what we say is it doesn't matter why the dog is demonstrating this behavior. All that matters that is that it is and we need to end it. And in those days back then, we would end it simply usually by using correction for either dominance-related corrections or the old-fashioned kind of leash-oriented, jerk them around when they do the wrong behavior, make them understand that it's an unacceptable behavior. 
The problem was, is while that you tend to get a very quick result using those methods, it's never permanent. And so a symptomatic approach never really works. Well, I shouldn't say never, rarely will work long-term. As I got certified to do behavior work, a much better approach is called the, the, the causative approach. And in the causative approach, what you say is, okay, this dog is demonstrating this behavior because of some specific attitude that it has. In other words, it's typically what we call a CER, a conditioned emotional response. And this conditioned emotional response began because of this attitude that was caused by whatever mistakes were made. And so in the causative approach, you have to take a complete history, look at the mistakes that the owners make. 98% of behavior problems are created by the owners mm -hmm. that don't understand how dogs think and how they learn. And in many cases, what happens is the owners accidentally cue the dogs to believe that they're dominant over the owners. So then you have dominance-based aggression and dominance related behavior complexes and all kinds of other things. But the truth of the matter is the only way, what we were taught is the only way before you start developing the program to diminish and extinguish these problem behaviors is you better have a complete history of what caused this and a clear understanding of what caused the problem in the first place. And then you change the attitude and you use whatever methods and techniques are out there to change the dog's attitude based on what caused that attitude. I thank you so much for, for this brilliant conversation. Thanks for everything and- You're very welcome. I, I hope that the information I put out there will help some people. I do it'll too. Get, it'll get a whole bunch of people that have young dogs getting out with their dogs tomorrow because there's just no way I can stress enough the importance of that early socialization okay so that if, if enough people hear that and I save five or six dogs from being fear-based and nervous for the rest of their life then this was well worth it to me wonderful well thank you Howie Shukart and uh all right Margo we'll we'll talk again sometime and that concludes our conversation with Howie Shukart dog trainer from Ashland, Missouri. We're going to go out with a final tune. This was uh, an original tune written by KOPN host Pippa Letsky and her pal Charlie O'Dell. Uh, it's called A Dog Named Fred and it's on the album called Pippa and the Straw Men. Thanks for listening. I had a dog, his name was Fred. All he did was bark. He ran away and joined the circus, broke my heart in two. Guess the lure of fame and the hot spotlights Relieved him of the boredom of his lonely nights A dog needs affection, food from a can But most of all a dog needs adoring fans
fans A dog needs affection Food from a can But most of all A dog needs adoring fans His big night came And he jumped into a cannon Fearless fret the wonder dog With reckless abandon I held my breath I saved at the fuse Flew through the air And disappeared There was nothing to see except a hole in the tent. No one knew where Fearless Fred went. He flew to the moon as while the circus clown sat. But I had a sick feeling my dog was dead. in my heart when I opened my door well then I heard him barking he was sitting in the dark bed with the lights turned dim I guess circus life wasn't for him a dog needs affection food from a can but most of all a dog needs adoring fans a dog needs affection Food from a can, but most of all a dog needs adoring fans. A dog needs affection. Food from a can, but most of all dog needs adoring fans. Well. Margo, I was driving down a country road a while back, and I passed by a big farmhouse. It had a sign stuck in the yard that said, For Sale, Talking Dog. Huh. Well, I just had to stop and see what that was all about. Huh. So I parked and walked up to the porch where an old man was sitting in his rocking chair, smoking his pipe and reading the newspaper. And I said to him, Excuse me, sir, but... I just have to ask, what's with the sign that says talking dog? Is that true? You have a dog that talks? Yep, he's out there in the back. Why don't you go back and say hi? Well, I went around the back of the house and there was a dog sitting there scratching his fleas. I said, kind of tentatively of course, uh, Excuse me, but can you talk? The dog replied, Yep. This might surprise you, but you know, when I was younger, I was recruited by the CIA to be a spy. They'd send me to foreign countries, and I'd hang around important meetings. You know, secret meetings of Soviet spies, drug traffickers, stuff like that. They didn't pay any attention to me. Of course, they thought I was just a dog. For years, I provided the CIA with a lot of important secret information. 
I finally put in for retirement, so here I am just kicking back and taking it easy. Oh, I could hardly wait to get back around to the front porch and talk to the old farmer. What would you take for the dog, I said. Ten dollars, he said. He probably told you a whole lot of stuff about being a spy, working for the CIA, and stuff like that. Shucks, he never done any of that. Well, I didn't buy the dog. <laughs>